I'm Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm Curtis Jones. I am Cody Gagbo. Putting on the Liverpool top for the first time, it was a dream come true and I'll never forget that moment. The new LFC 24-25 season Nike Home Kit is out now. Buy it today along with our new goalkeeper kit and training range at your official LFC stores. Online at liverpoolfc.com forward slash store and on the official LFC store app. You will never walk alone. Ese último McNugget me toca a mí porque soy la mayor. ¿Y eso qué tiene que ver? Los mayores se respetan. Eso no existe, ¿cierto, mamá? Ya, quédense tranquilas. Aquí hay otra cajita de McNuggets. Respeto, ¿viste? El no hay rivalidad cuando hay McNuggets deal. Hay un deal para cada salida familiar en McDonald's. Compra uno de tus favoritos, como unos McNuggets de 10 piezas, una Big Mac, una Quarter Pounder with Cheese o un Fileo Fish y te llevas otro por un dólar. Por tiempo limitado, precios y participación pueden variar válido para un producto de igual o menor valor. Hey, imagine if all your frustrations about advertising your business could be solved right now. You should know that podcast listeners are more engaged in higher converting than any other advertising medium. So try AdHub today and reap the rewards of Spreaker's self-advertising platform. It makes it as effortless as ever to be heard by thousands, regardless of the listening app they use. Visit Spreaker.com forward slash AdHub. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com forward slash AdHub. And start using your advertising dollars in an impactful way. Hello everybody and welcome to the Premier League Nightclub Podcast. My name is Damon and with me I have Woody. Woody, this this sort of industry that we're in, it's getting ridiculous. I am half asleep right now. How are you dealing with these fixtures? <laughs> I tell you what, it's a bit of a stretch. We have, this is now the third podcast in six and a half days. Um, I'm struggling. You know, I was explaining to you that I fell asleep towards the... I missed, like, the best bit of the Chelsea Arsenal game. <laughs> Which is the last 10 minutes. Yeah, and then, and then I woke up, and De Bruyne was running through with ball at his feet against Sheffield, and I'm like, where are the last five hours going? What have I been doing? <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm struggling, but as a you know, key member of the nightclub, we've got we to gotta push through. Yeah, well, I don't, actually don't have that problem. For people that know me, I'm actually almost night owl, almost right. nocturnal yeah. to be honest with you 100 I, I got i reckon i got three and a half hours sleep last night woke up in the best mood knowing that it's a recording day <laughs> and i watched all of arsenal with chelsea um and watched the start of uh, i think it was liverpool. Uh, it was liverpool wolves as well uh, but didn't see the didn't see the controversy that surrounded the goal nonetheless i stayed up for one and a half games um so i was very proud of my efforts three hours sleep you were up that so you would have woke did you wake up for man united burnley at 6.30 in the morning yesterday morning? Yeah, 6.45, I think, yeah. Yeah. 6.45. But then I also watched um, the game Beforehand. before that as well, which I'm pretty sure was West Ham Leicester. Goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that means I only got... You were pretty much up I, for 24 hours. You were up for 24 hours. Oh, thereabouts, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I had work in between as well. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right. it's a dedication we here we have here at the nightclub. And just, just to quickly, before we kick off the episode demo, yes. I think that's the first episode in... Three or four weeks that you haven't referred to me as Woodra. <laughs> no, I'm trying, trying to spice it up. I, I had Woodra in my back pocket for later on. But, you know, I, I will be calling you Woodra. Bit of a shout out to the great Tony Modra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where this nickname of Woodra's come from. I just jumped on it like maybe a couple of months ago and I just can't stop saying it. It came out of nowhere and it stuck. 
It's definitely stuck. stuck. Anyway, Woody, obviously, yeah, huge games over Boxing Day, which we discussed in the previous episode, and some New Year's Eve Eve games that we're going to discuss today. We've got Mitch Cleary coming on uh, on the 4th of Jan, so there'll be an episode there. Mm-hmm. Sam is coming back for Ooh. that episode, so this is our what? last episode no without way. Sam. <laughs> so we're very excited for that. But I'm happy to just get stuck straight into a bit of analysis, bit of fun, and we're looking at our team of the decade later on in this episode. Oh. But until then, would you like to hit us with those quick fire results? To kick off the round, Brighton beat Bournemouth 2 0. Southampton Crystal Palace drew 1 all. Everton got a very much needed win uh, in a 2 1 win over Newcastle. Watford down a struggling Aston Villa 3 0. Tottenham. Drew with Norwich, 2-all. Mourinho would definitely not be happy with that one. <laughs> Leicester down West Ham, 2-1. United finish off Burnley, 2-0. Chelsea in a thriller beat Arsenal, 2-1. Liverpool down Wolves, 1-0. And to kick off, to finish off the round, sorry, City down the Blades, 2-0. Damo, what did you make of the round? Yeah, no, some, re- some really interesting results. And obviously, we've now seen the end of Manuel Pellegrini after that Again, disappointing performance from West Ham. 2-1 loss to the hands of Leicester. It was on the cards. He was on borrowed time, let's be honest. We spoke about it heaps in the last episode, how poor they were against Palace. They were poor again. And they've signed David Moyes, reappointed David Moyes. What, mm. What's your initial reaction to that, Woody? Well, we actually predicted it uh, last episode. We said that Pellegrini wouldn't see out the year, mm-hmm. which we were right about. And I think we did also say David Moyes was in line. Um, so there you go. Bit of, uh, bit of prophecy from the nightclub. <laughs> but look, I do, I do agree with Moyes coming back. I think the Really? Eight, yeah, I do, because when he was takeover manager, which, um, which I can't remember if it was, was for how long. I think it was, it was about, just, it was, well, I feel like it wasn't a full season. It was four months yeah. ish. And they played really well. He took them from, I think they were sitting 18th on the table at the time, and they were one or two points clear, um, or in relegation, and they finished 13th. Okay. So, he did pretty well with what he had. I, I would put you in the minority of the way you're thinking at the moment. No, because but I I'm think, seeing I'm seeing a lot of West Ham fans aren't happy. But he's only signed an 18th month deal. Yeah, that that's is true. I think that is the bonus because and it's hard to say a manager only signing 18 month deal, seeing it as a bonus. But nonetheless, they haven't lo- locked themselves into Moyes for too long. Yeah, and that's I, I think that. that's a plus. But then also it gives him a, enough time to see what he can do and maybe persuade the board to go buy some some younger players um, that which will replace the injured, washed out guys, the washed out injured guys that they've got, the Yarmolenkos, the Jack Wilshires. So yeah. I think it would be interesting to see sort of where he can take them and where he can steer them. And I, and I, I'm excited to see what he's going to do. Yeah, I think it's a it's a massive few months for West Ham now, and I'm really keen to see what they're going to offer. And it's a I I think I plan on talking about them a little bit later on in more depth. But yeah, it's as a if you were a West Ham fan, I think now it would be West Ham are the club that uh probably the least destination club in the league. I think this I'd rather be at Arsenal than I than West Ham. But yeah. that's just my opinion. No, I'd agree with that. And I think for West Ham looking forward, especially coming into the January um transfer period, I think I I don't know if they're in a position that where they can be ruthless with signings. Yeah. Because the thing is they've got so many bit part players and that are just below probably above average, that they've got so many average players on yeah. that line that it's hard to find enough players to replace and them. I think that's why the manager appointment's really important because you need a manager who can get the best out of those players and not rely on squad list talent alone. 
Anyway, we should probably get actually stuck into our first game we want to analyse, Woody, because we could talk about West Ham for quite a while. And that was the biggest, no doubt, the biggest game of the round. Chelsea, or Arsenal, I should say, with the home team. Arsenal versus Chelsea. Now Chelsea can look to break. Here's Abraham, Mount and Willian up in support. Williams up. Real opportunity here. Tammy Abraham, can he get the pass right? He's found Willian. Heavy touches taken him wide. Cut back for Abraham. Can he get the yes! chance off? Oh, yes, he can. And Chelsea have turned it round. Chelsea turned this one around big time. And as I said, Woody, in the intro, I missed the best part of the game, which was the final few, final 10 minutes. It was full of controversy, especially in the second half. It was a game of two halves. I, think. Well, I don't know if I call it a game of two halves. I, I say uh, it's a game of the first 25 minutes and the last 65 minutes. Yeah. That's, that's, what, that's the way I put it. Fair assessment, fair assessment. I, I just think one of the good things about the Premier League, obviously, is that any team can beat any other team on any given day. But usually we have, especially when these big clubs play against each other, quite often it's a case of there's a clear favourite. But I've, I got the vibe going in that no one really knew what the hell was going to happen with this one because both teams had a really poor month. Arsenal probably in the worst form out of the two teams, purely because Chelsea got the job done over Tottenham maybe about a week ago. But nevertheless, both teams are incredibly vulnerable. So to see goals in this one was no surprise. Yeah, no doubt. And I think Arsenal now, looking at their position, they're just six points away from relegation and 11 points off top four. So it was sort of a game where they, they had to get a result. And for the first 25 minutes, they definitely looked like they were going to get the result. They looked like an Arsenal, which was maybe a little bit resurgent. We, we talk about when managers first come in, the team's almost pick up in confidence because they know they've got something to play for. They need to play for their position and they're not playing in stale tactics. So in that sense, the first 25 minutes was definitely well, Arsenal's. Was, was that down to Arsenal's uh, intensity and energy or was that more of a tactical thing because we saw Lampard make the change after 35 no, minutes? Look, see, I think it was definitely a case of just Arsenal's direct attack. See, I disagree. Really? I, I strongly disagree. I think... We're going to get stuck into Emerson and his poor 35 minutes, but I, I I strongly believe that it wasn't a personnel thing. It was definitely a system thing. That's just what, how I saw it. Because once I've, I almost felt that Lampard could have taken any of those defenders off and switched to a 4-3-3, and he almost could have brought on any other midfielder. I know Jorginho is probably one of the better players on the on the field purely because of the way he changed the game. But I think it was... It was a case where Lampard couldn't really go wrong with who he substituted. It was the what substitution he was going mm-hmm. to make in terms of how he was going to set up because Chelsea couldn't get it out of their back half for that yeah. first 30 Well, years. Arsenal were completely on top of them. But the thing is, I don't know if that's a tactical thing. I, I feel as if more so it was Chelsea's tactics lacking rather than Arsenal's tactics playing to their four. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's, I somewhat agree with you there, but I also think that Arsenal were in a position where they could afford to be direct because Chelsea were playing more of a back five than a transitional three five two. Yeah, it was very similar in the fashion they started against Spurs. Yes, and realized, but it was almost the opposite case last time against Spurs. Spurs were the team lacking energy, and maybe you're right, Woody. This time Arsenal brought the energy and intensity, so the system didn't work as but, well. And I don't think Arsenal were ready for the tactical change. So that, in that sense, they probably didn't have a plan B. Yeah, I. I Which mean, was surprising considering oh, that... To be honest, it is Arteta's first home game in charge. Yeah. I, I know, it is hard. It is hard. But nonetheless, like, Arsenal squad are probably one of the best in the league on talent alone. Yeah. If we're being real. I, th- um, I think if... Yeah, you can't really put the blame on Arteta, but from a from a player's perspective, a few players let Arsenal down 
especially once the tide started to change Chelsea's way. Yeah, and I completely yeah. Looking at the game, and it was it was really frustrating to see. Like you see, the likes of Ozil came in, and he he was really resurging. He played well, but the likes of Lacazette continued the form in which he's been in the same vein for the last month, and he had a he had a real day to forget, and he seriously struggled. Um, he looked way too slow to take a chance in the first half, where he was probably given. A striker's opportunity for a goal. Yeah, if he's in form, he finishes that. He didn't even get the shot away. That's how slow he was. Yeah, exactly. And that's pro- probably credit to Balmyang as well because he he played really well for the game and, yeah. and probably was um, the better of the one hundred percent was the better of the two, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, back onto Lacazette. You know, he, he failed on numerous times to make um, make opportunity of of the potent counter attacks that they had, which sort of exposed. Maybe didn't give Chelsea's... the defenders a break. No, he didn't, and, and they probably exposed the lack of experience in Chelsea's back four. Yep. Um, by Aspilicueta, because Aspilicueta was actually pretty solid for the day. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I think Lacazette definitely, yeah, had a, had a had a had a day to forget. He just went sixty three percent passing in the forward half, won fifty percent of his duels, failed to attempt a shot, which came down to his horrific first touches in two or three sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, two or three moments for the game where if it was for a good first touch, he would get an easy shot on goal, almost a clear shot on goal. But it was for the horrible first touches that they were blocked. Well, we saw there was a, there was an opportunity late in the game uh, where he pretty much, as soon as he got the ball on the edge of the box, handed it off to Pepe. But then you look at it and he said, and he actually created zero chances for the game and created had zero shot assists. So yeah. his lack of confidence leading to him giving the ball to a teammate still isn't delivering results for Arsenal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Like, the, the way he's handing off the ball isn't good enough either. So, you know, that's a real issue for Arteta now to find that form. He's been able to find, you know, temporary form for Messi Ozil. So he'll need to switch Lacazette back on because we know the type of player he can be. Yep. But one other Arsenal player I do want to look at is a player we talk about all the time. But it's, <laughs> David, it's, it's David Luiz. Sideshow Bob. And to, to be honest with you, I actually almost feel bad sitting here talking about David Luiz because... If anything, we should be saying, at least for that first 80 minutes, he was, he was solid. I thought it was one of his better games in an Arsenal oh, shirt. See, I actually disagree with you. And, and I do say it was probably his best display, but I think like it has been the case over majority of his career and definitely towards the later end of his Chelsea days, the David Luiz moments and like everyone knows what we're talking about. Yep. The, the, the head high challenges, the knee high studs, the defensive lapses, he can have 90 minutes, the blinder of game of his career, but he's the three or four D- David Luiz moments that completely undo his game. Yeah, I think it, his mistakes are so much worse than your average centre back, aren't they? Yeah, and you just you have to question: is is the hair clogging his brain? I don't know. <laughs> I don't well, know. Let, let's analyze the last goal. Okay, can yeah. we analyze the last goal? Yeah, because for, sure. for so much of the game, it looked like Chelsea struggled mm. to create. Clear, clear chances. Okay, they, they dominate the ball, but you couldn't sit there and say, wow, Chelsea should have scored there too often. Yeah. But in the 87th minute when they did score, Mustafi, who was thrown into the deep end after Chambers' injury, and Louise, both of them backed away from Abraham on the counter-attack. That's typical Arsenal of the last decade. Mate, they gave him they had 20, all day. They gave him 20 metres of space. It was so and, poor. And the, the interesting thing was... Matteo Guendouzi, he actually picked up on it as soon as Abraham turned and Guendouzi turned on the counter. Guendouzi put both of his arms up, pointed at both Louise and Mustafi, said, where the hell are you guys going? Yeah. They gave him 20 metres of space. They started running before Abraham had the ball. Yeah. I, which was one, outrageous. One of them had to go. 
One yeah. of them had to go in that situation. Maybe yeah. that's a case of lack of chemistry between the two because Mustafi's very limited number uh, minutes this season. But it, nevertheless, it's just that's just basic central defense, central defending. Yeah, yeah. And it's just you know, if you're an Arsenal fan, you just sit there and think, you know, we've made two mistakes for the game. And it's cost us. Yeah. And and looking at the follow-on effect from, from where Mustafa and Louise were sort of positioned, it was a it was a staggered uh, defensive line. So what happened was Mustafi was too far away to get to Abraham, but Louise was too far back to And he was worried about Abraham. William. He... Yeah. So Mustafi and Louise weren't actually sitting aligned. Louise was actually a bit further back than Mustafi, yeah. which causes issues when tracking men because... The spacing is so different. Mustafi doesn't know whether to come across. Yeah, mixed messaging. And Louise doesn't know whether to come forward. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, they both looked at each other dumbfounded and tracked back because they had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. And that was just poor positioning. But then the thing is, Abraham was almost allowed to run 50 yards in order to... Without any pressure on with him. With no pressure on him at all. And it came from the tracking defender in Genduzi, who was the one that marked him down. Mm-hmm. But then by the time Abraham passed it off to William... Was that was it was, it was done, yeah. and credit to Abraham, amazing finish. He's sort of the first, first touch. The first touch is what got it, and it looks simple, but it was a hesitated first touch, which he almost took half a step going around the defender, and then track came back with his mm. first touch, was, which which left Mus- was it Mustafi? I think it was Mustafi. Yeah, because dead. Louise tracked William. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and and he went straight through Bernlino and. Look, if we look at Bernlino so at a game, <laughs> well, your man, Damo, uh, you picked him, you had him in your team of the season, rolling excite. I don't, look, he's, look, I know he's made the most uh, mistakes leading to goals since the start of last season. With seven? Yes, but you could also make a case that the man who did score from his mistake shouldn't have been on the pitch. And that's where oh, I want to finish this this game okay, analysis okay, up. Okay. We're going to look at Chelsea and their change of system, and they brought Jorginho on. Now, as I said, he was good. He was probably changed the game, even though I'd make the case that almost any player could have changed the game <laughs> the way nah, he Chelsea got, set he up. he got man of the match. And it was interesting when he came on. He came on for Emerson, who was playing left wing back and was actually at fault for Aubameyang's goal and had a pretty horrible first 30 minutes before mm-hmm. he came off. Mm-hmm. He looked extremely defensive liable, but nonetheless... Lampard recognised that three the back was not was not the way to go. Brought Jorginho in, played the metronome, and he was also a very lucky man. Should have come off with a second second yellow card. Mm. But at the end of the day, he scored the goal, was man of the match, controlled the game, and probably delivered Chelsea the win realistically and the stability for the whole game. Yeah, on the yellow card, first one, hundred percent there. Can we agree on that? Yeah, Greg Lack is at hundred percent. Your, your clear cut yellow card if you've ever seen yep. one. But you could also make the case that his tackle on Ganduzi in the middle of the f- pitch, it, it was a yellow card. It was, yeah. There's no ifs, buts, or maybes about it. Yeah. Do you do you have any sort of uh, other way of looking at it, Woody, or is that it? No, I think he also could have copped a, a yellow for when he was um, scored the goal and he pulled Torreira down. You so you think it was a foul on the ball? Oh, I think it could have been a foul. I don't. I disagree. Dis- strongly disagree. If, if he gives a no, foul I for that, it, the game is ruined. No, I think it could have been a foul. I'm not saying it was a foul. And Damer, I want to ask you this question because since Arsenal sacked Unai Emery, they've only taken six points from eight games with with um with the only win coming against West Ham. Do you think they should? What 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 plan do you think they should have going forward? Going to January, going to the end of the season. New manager, struggling team, struggling strikers, struggling centre backs. 
Where do they go? I, I actually, I think it's really important for Arsenal to stay rational in this situation. Mm. We've, I can compare it to Lampard at Chelsea and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United. Okay, regardless of the fact that they're both, uh, they've you know hired a club past player plus legend. Yep. I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at the way they've set up around the manager. Chelsea obviously benefited from the, the talented young kids they had on loan, but I think you look at Manchester United 12 months ago. And they were pretty poor as well. Okay, maybe they have a little bit of a deeper squad, but I think it's really important that Arsenal now set up around Arteta. It almost doesn't matter if he's the wrong man. In two years, if they decide he's the wrong man, it's Arsenal's main objective should be to be in a better position now than a better position then than they are now. Do you think they should expect top four this season? No, 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 no. It, it doesn't matter about short-term results now. If they wanted short-term results, they should have gone after a bigger and more experienced manager. Yeah. It's time to build around Arteta, give him the foundations to be successful. If he's not successful, that's another kettle of fish. If you want, if you want to be successful, you need to set the foundations right. And I'm talking off-field, I'm talking board level. Arsenal need to get that right. So then if in two years' time Arteta's not the man, the next manager who comes in can still have the ability to be successful because Arteta at the moment is set up for failure. It's important you set him up for success. Last question before we wrap up this game. Yes. Do they have any uh, pieces in their squad that they can build around? I think... That looking to the future may be staying more than just another couple of seasons. I, I actually think Arsenal's midfield cops a lot of criticism. And obviously, it's easy to talk about Aubameyang and Lacazette. But they're, they're, they're the players that you know... Oh, maybe not Lacazette at the moment. But Aubameyang is going to get you goals. It's important they keep him. But I also think at 30 years old, almost 31, mm. if he does go... I think it's not the end of the world for Arsenal. And you might look at me and think, come on. Like, he's clearly been their player You're of the You're daft, season. mate. But... I do think if you can set up around Guendouzi, Torreira, build these guys and maybe sign a, a midfield, make that midfield something special, okay? Yeah. Obviously, they have defensive issues, and I've pretty much covered every single you know line of the field. Yeah. But I think if they can bolster that midfield and buy a strong defender, it's funny how one or two players can change a whole team. Okay? Yeah, That's all I, I'm going to say. I agree with you. I agree with you. But I think, nonetheless, we should stick a bow in it because we've gone into that game and a half. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting we talked about because these are two two teams that we probably haven't talked about for a few weeks. Yeah. And it's interesting to touch on where they that they sit at coming the new year and probably where they want to go out um, going into the new year as well because two very different directions mm. and two very different states. But nonetheless, let's keep rolling. Let's let's head into winners and losers because we've got a funny one coming up for you. And Damo, let's get straight stuck straight into it. Winners and losers. Boy, did someone say winners and losers? Sure did, mate. Alrighty, so I'm going to start with my winner, and my winner is Brighton. They had a massive, massive win to kick off the the round, the New Year's Eve round. It was your typical six-point game. They got over a pretty poor Bournemouth, who, again, struggled against teams around them on the table. 2-0 loss, 2-0 win to Brighton, I should say. Aaron... Dennis Burkamp Moy scored his first goal of the season. Ball Jesus! What what a touch! What a finish! Good on him. His first goal what a man. of the season. Messiah. He he loved it. and He was a man of the match. He was unbelievable, wasn't he? Woody? He played so well. I actually tuned in for that game, and he was pulling strings. Was, he was pulling strings. He, he was everywhere, and it was good to see him not pushed out onto the left for once. He has been playing well there, but he spent a lot more time centrally, and he clearly benefited. Massive, both teams are just above relegation. It's a massive win for Brighton. I think 
the way Brighton play, though, I don't want I don't want to see them go down. I know I predicted them. We to need go... we need the Aussie connection, mate. Exactly. And I, I think it's been a good year for Brighton. Uh, the way they've been playing, hopefully they can get some points, stay up. Woody, who is your winner? All right, my winner of the week is Evidence. So for the first time, pretty much since the opening few weeks of the season, they're back in the top half of the table. And they had a pretty resilient home, uh, a, a win away from home at Newcastle. Now, Carl Angelotti's first game in charge definitely hasn't enough time to implement what he wants from players. But the emotion and passion that Duncan Ferguson left at the club, I think, has been brought on by Angelotti. It has not gone away at all. Passion is still there. My girlfriend's dad is still going to be very chuffed, <laughs> I think, with the game. And that man, Covert Lewin, has scored five goals in five EPO appearances. As many as his last 28 appearances in the Evidence shirt, he's on fire. Evidence are looking good. Not looking good. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna jump on the train. No, by no means, because I think there's still good issues. I think the start of their season will cost them long term for this year. Yeah, their I, season's a bit of a write off, but it's all I, about building foundation. I think, I think they'll be dead centre mid table. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Damo, who is your loser of the week? Well, my loser, by no surprise, is the team we spoke about spoke about earlier on, and that's. West Ham. We roasted them last last <laughs> last episode, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. And look, as I said, it is the worst club in the league to be at right now. And I think when you look at where they were a couple of years ago to where they are now, it's it's scary how far they've dropped off. And I my reason why they're my loser is not so much because they lost to Leicester. It is because of the appointment of David Moyes. I might be being harsh here, but I know it's only an 18-month contract, but I think it just shows a lack of ambition. It is a complete what? lack. It's a complete twist of what they were trying to sell to their fans when they moved into this new stadium. European quality football. They're not going to get anywhere near Europe. David Moyes, let's be honest, has been, I would say he's been a failure or at least okay at every single club he's been to since he left Everton in 2013. Gee, that's a bit harsh, mate. I just, I just think that they've, Pellegrini on, Ability is their best manager they've ever had, and they've replaced them, replaced him with David Moyes. And after their next three games, so once January's done, listen to these fixtures. Mm. Leicester, Liverpool, Brighton, Man City, Liverpool, Southampton, Arsenal, Wolves, Tottenham, Chelsea. They're cooked. Ooh. Okay? They are cooked. I would, you know, if they wanted stability and a manager to ride them through to the end of the season, David Moyes isn't your man. Bring back Big Sam. <laughs> Big Sam, Woody, who is your loser? All right, a pretty stiff loser this week. I'm going to go the Wolves, um, but that's because they were in for a shout to grab points of Liverpool last night, and they're probably the one of the only teams that that has the actual ability to, to pull scalps off the big boys, other than the big boys. Now, Van Dijk, uh, absolutely full pitch ping of a pass to Lallana, who shouldered it down for Mane, but. Wind back 15 seconds, Van Dijk actually hand, almost handballed the ball, and I think it was a pretty clear-cut handball. Mm. But because I think VAR was put in place for Lalana's goal to be reviewed, they didn't review Van Dijk's handball, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I think it was really interesting going into the game as well because um, Nuno, Nuno uh, Santo benched Traore, Jimenez, and Doherty, who were the three goal scorers against City. Now, the, the, the commentators said... Start of the game. It doesn't matter about who starts the game. For Wolves against Liverpool, it matters about who comes on and who affects the game. Now, I think that was extremely interesting because Jimenez, Traor, and Romain Sars came on. Mm -hmm. So two of the three goal scorers. But, I mean, fire out. Wolves were extremely stiff not to grab points. And if it wasn't for Liv VAR pool, 
I reckon they would have got points. I, I think statistically they matched it pretty well with the Reds. Yeah, for sure. They, they did. They had, they had such a good game. All right, Woody, do we want to move on to our next and final game? And it's a, it's a relegation scrap again. Mm, we've, we've enjoyed talking about them, haven't we? Yeah, I think, you know, and Aston Villa come up a lot in these sort of conversations. So let's have a look at Watford versus Aston Villa. Here is Etienne Capu looking for Saar! That'll do it for Watford! Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Villa furious. Watford jubilant. I just think, Woody, you, you gave Man United your loser last week yeah. because you said Watford's win didn't mean as much as United's loss. Well, yeah. now they've won again. Mm. And they're off the bottom due to Norwich's poor form. They are within, I believe, three or four points of safety now. Yeah. Can you see them pulling this off? Has Nigel Pearson uh, turned I Look, I... Yes, I think so, because like I said, the Watford boys, similar to um, a couple of other teams in the league, are starting, like, similar to Southampton actually, are starting to um, rally around the manager and rally around their team and build a unitary focus to get out of the relegation scrap. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really a credit to Watford. I, I, I think the only one that could probably take their place in the relegation scrap at the moment is potentially West Ham, depending yeah. on form, because I think Bournemouth and Southampton are showing really good promise at the moment, and same with Brighton. And I think West Ham are probably the worst out of the three. Yeah, looking at looking at the bottom three, that could possibly go down. But yeah, look. Mm. It I don't is, know. It's, it's, it's hard to. It's it hard. Is, to, it's hard to predict. It is hard to say. And, and remember when they drew one all with Tottenham a couple of uh, probably you know, two months ago now. Yeah. And they coughed up a one 0 lead late in the game due to some defensive and goalkeeper issues. Uh, Sam, of all people, <laughs> actually said uh, that just regardless of effort, uh, you need to get results. When you're a team like Watford struggling, doesn't matter how well you play. If you're not getting three points when they're on offer. That's why they're going to go down. And Nigel Pearson, after the game, actually said, we couldn't afford to lose. Must win is something I'm not overly keen on putting into players yet. The important thing is performance. Okay? Yeah. So I actually think that he's contradicted himself in one sentence there. He said, we couldn't <laughs> afford to lose, but must he's, win. He's, is cover, he's covering his bases, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, he's definitely covering his bases. And look, at the moment, it seems to be wor- working. His last four yeah. games, they've been competitive against Liverpool, beat Man United, uh, I believe drew with Sheffield, yeah. and got the win on the week, oh, a couple of days ago now, against Aston Villa. I just think the what he's putting into his plays is clearly working. Mm-hmm. He's giving mixed messages to the media. Yeah. But for now, it seems to be working. But let's have a look at why, Woody. Why did Watford... Yeah. Mate, Watford came out absolutely flying. Had created two decent chances, forced to save out of Heaton before Villa had even completed a pass. And that's credit to... to um to Watford and where they're sort of going as a team. They're playing much more direct. They're getting the best out of Troy Deeney. 
Um, and with that being said, I think his, his involvement back in the squad is massive. Yeah, it's it? massive, and I think it's it's a lot more than just his play on the field. I think he's almost the cult, like, I want to say cultural hub, but he's probably the life and soul of that club at the moment as a yeah. player, and has been for the last few years. To to see him back on the score sheet is is a credit to I think I think the new system and then the club getting around their players at the moment as yeah. well. well. Well he is a he is a Birmingham fan growing up. So mm. to score he has a very good record against Villa. So <laughs> yeah. you know four of the, four of his goals have come of Vicarage Road against Villa. He loves he loves to stick it stick it to the Villa fans in that away section. But the biggest thing for mine was you said Woody he's he's not He's no superstar. No, he's he's a simple striker. He is. He only only had twenty two. Get this. He had twenty two touches of the ball against Aston Villa. Mm. With those touches, he's had five shots on goal, three shot assists, created a big chance, and scored twice. I've seen players have eighty touches of the ball and not not deliver half of them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like he's very direct. Yeah. And that, at the end of the day, that's what Watford fans want. Yeah, well, he's not—he's not the fastest anymore. But by all means, I think the little things that he does well were the simple things, and that's—that sort of goes, I think, unnoticed every now and then when you look at the flashier players. And we saw Ismail Asabag goal, and he's definitely a bit more skillful. But nothing to take the shine off what Troy Deeney did. He does the simple things well. Mm-hmm. Does the basic hold-ups, does the basic passes, the basic layoffs that a good striker needs the foundations to be a, a great striker. Mm-hmm. By no means is Deeney an unbelievable striker, but he does the basic things well, and that's why he keeps delivering. All right, Woody, I'm going to pose something to you here, because, again, we've picked a game to analyse here with a, a bit of a moral compass issue, okay? And <laughs> yeah. that that came, of course, um, Mariapa got sent off. Yes. And that was... Uh, Watford were only 1-0 up at this stage, and it looked like, oh, this was Villa's chance. Mm. You could see Grealish, his calves were pulsating. He was he was very, very excited to attack a 10-man Watford. But pretty soon after that, uh, Matty Target went down with what seemed to be an injury, although he was looking at the ball whilst he was down. He was sort of just sitting there watching the play unfold. Mm-hmm. Of course, from that... Deeney was played through and earned a penalty, and which he eventually scored. Where do you sit on this? Do you believe Watford should have played the ball out uh, of play? No, I think they. I think I think it was fine. Uh, to be, I know I know it's unsportsmanlike, and I don't like it. But I think if you're going to get an edge up on a team, who's got to be ruthless? You have to be ruthless, and who gives it? Who gives? anything about the moral compass of the game. To be honest, I know it means so much in the context of the, the world, sport and whatever, but they're in the results business. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. They're in the results business. And for these two teams, they need every single bloody result they can get. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And the thing that makes me feel completely fine with it is that Villa tried to attack Watford and then turned it over and then were opened up at the back due to the injury. Yeah. So my thing is... I think the moral thing should be if you're if you're not willing to defend, then you shouldn't be willing to attack either. Yep. Do you know what I mean? No, do I do agree with you. And oh, the the comments after the game, I just it, it made me feel sick to be honest. The, yeah. Just the attitude towards Watford and what they'd done. Do you know what I could I if the team I support did that, I wouldn't have an issue with it in the world, and I'd be disappointed if my team passed the ball out. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you, and I think. If anything, I think Villa fans are almost scapegoating the poor performance they put in. Oh, 100%. Playing, playing, 
playing they were playing ten men for and they still considered half an hour. they still considered two goals. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see where Villa are at the moment because we slated West Ham last week. And I think it's about time we slate Villa as well. Do you know they have not kept an away clean sheet since January two thousand and sixteen? Disgusting. Disgusting. And I think if we're looking if we're being ex- extremely realistic they have broken McGinn. I know he went down with an unfortunate injury, but they've broken him. They've run him into the ground, and they've done that with Jack Grealish as well. Consistently, he's the only player moving forward. They need Premier League players they to do. stay up. They they lost Tammy Abraham, and who did they replace him with? Wesley. 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 Wesley <laughs> Daddy. And, he's, and, and he hasn't done anything. I know, and he was denied by Ben Foster with a really good save in the first yeah. half, and you know it was an incredible save. But he he headed it. You just need to be more, a little bit more direct with the header, and yes. it would have gone in. But yeah. Woody, your man Tyrone Mings has been mm. now missed uh, five successive games with a hamstring injury, and clearly West, uh, Aston Villa, sorry, look half the te- team they are with and without him. Yeah. And I agree. And Damon, I actually messaged you this last night because I was I was looking up um, the biggest transfers of. Uh, or coming into the season, and I saw Mings only came for twenty million, right? And if you're buying a, a player of Mings's quality for twenty million, you're doing a you're having a bloody bargain. One of the first Joe teams went for forty four million. Yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. But but seriously, looking at Villa as a squad, Mings is probably the least of their worries at the moment. They need two hundred to two hundred and fifty mil to buy the players they need to to make a consistent run in the Premier League and get out of the consistent relegation crap. Scrap. I think, yeah, they're, they're better than an 18th place side. Yeah, we love watching him play, but far out, like, I don't, I don't well, the last no, two months have been abysmal. What, there's no more excuses you can make for them. No. Grealish is their only player and at the moment. You can tell he's tired. He is tired. He does the everything. He, he can pl- the third goal that went in, we'll just wrap, wrap this one up with the analysis of the third goal. Grealish turned the ball over in midfield, and then as soon as the ball went in, he went up to the ref fuming, saying he was fouled. VAR had a look, and in all honesty, Jack, You've had a great year, but come on, mate. That was that was pathetic. Yeah, like, there was, was there was barely a barely a touch, and he yeah. went down after he'd passed the ball away. For mine, as as a captain, I thought it was really poor. Demo. Mm-hmm. Three words. Here we go. Question. Yes. Dean Smith out. I I think I think the style they played for the first few months has earned him a little bit of time. And I think it's it's not getting to the point where, you know, all it takes is a win for Villa, and they could sit about mate sixteenth. I think it is. Nah, but I'm not buying that. They're playing they're playing relegation rivals. They've lost three nil three nil to Watford just then, conceding two off a red card. Right? They lost three one to Southampton. Right? They're losing to relegation. You know. Um, competitors. Yeah. That's a thing as well. So I don't see how, like, I, I don't know if he's out because they beat, they beat Norwich, of course, but realistically, like, they need to be winning every single game to stay up. Oh. Against, against oh, the relegation, against the relegation, ba- against yeah. relegation battlers. I, I do see that. Yeah. We, I think the last good performance I saw out of them was a two all draw at Old Trafford. Yeah. If you can do that, I know we've talked and a lot course, about the Grealish, state of Grealish actually pulled them out a bit as well in that game exactly. as well. Exactly. You know where Man United are at, but nevertheless, if you can score two at Old Trafford, you should be able to score against a 10-man Watford. Yeah, I agree. Are I think wrap and, this one up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. And if, if they if they lose against Burnley, oh. I can see Dean Smith leaving. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. I'll give yeah. you that. 
Because Villa play a much nicer brand of football. Of course. Than Burnley. Of course. Do. So that, that's a real test to get the results. Which, which team's going to get the result in that? The fancy football or the ruthless football? We'll find out. We'll find next. out next week. All right, Woody, it is time to get stuck into a very topical thing at the moment. We've seen lots of different media platforms do it. So we're going to get stuck into our own. And that is the Premier League team of the decade. <laughs> All right, so Woody, I want to do it position by position. Goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, surely it has to be David Dyer. I've also got him down on the team sheet. I can't see... I think out of the players that have stayed in the Premier League for that long, look, probably his rival would be maybe Petr Cech. Mm-hmm. But then he's probably... Petr Cech hasn't been in the last three years. I think Dave has been the best was the best keeper in the world probably th- for two or 20, three, 2015 two. through to 2017. Yep. So with that being said, I think he gets the nod. Pitech He's probably- got the league titles as well from the start of the decade. Exactly. That probably puts him over a, uh, say, Allison, who's only really been around for two or three years. Yep. Or two, actually. And then you look at a guy like Edison, who's won two league titles, but again... He's only been here for a few years, yep. so I, I can't really justify anyone else other than David De Gea. And many would say and agree, where would Man United be without David De Gea, especially during those really, really poor years? Completely agree. Now, Damo, you've gone for a three-five-two, so three centre backs. Yep. Give us, give us all three. My three centre backs are Virgil Van Dyke, Vincent Company, and John Terry. Mm-hmm. Now, when I sat down to look at this. I was like, okay, who are my centre-backs going to be? Van Dyke's a, a modern uh, success. John Terry's obviously the old-timer success. And Vincent Company was the large performer for a large part of the decade. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, I can't, I can't, I couldn't feel that I could leave any of them out. So that's why I've gone with the three-back. And now, Woody, I know you've gone for a little bit of a different... Different take, but who are your two centre backs? Uh, my two, I've gone for a four four two, so I've gone the two full backs in there as well. But the two centre backs I've gone is uh, Vincent Company and John Terry. So I've left out Van Dyke. Okay, are we happy to lock in John Terry, who won three league titles during this decade, who many might actually forget about, and Vincent Company, of course, has won three as well. Nonetheless, he scored probably. One of the goals four, of the four, decade actually. as yeah. well. Four, four league titles, my apologies. Four league titles. One, scored one of the goals of the decade to clinch City's title last season. Of course, scored in the Manchester derby back in 2012, which put City in the box seat to win their first league title in how long? Reeks of greatness. So, yeah, Reeks think, of greatness. I think we just have to lock Vincent Company in there, and I'm happy to lock in uh, John Terry based on just his stature and what he did for Chelsea at the start of this decade. Now... Do you, who are your fullbacks? Uh, I've gone Azpilicueta and Zabaleta. That's, and that's very much due to probably a lack of left, prominent left backs in the last 10 years. Yeah, I think if we look at title winning teams, obviously we look at the title winning teams over the years to see who played like left back position. I see Marcus Alonso play as a wing back when Chelsea were really successful, but for mine that was his only good season. And even that he played more advanced than he did left back. Yeah, so I, I think I look at your Mendes, Zivchenko's, uh, Andy Roberts's, Robertson has only been a you know, phenomenon for the maybe the last two years. Yeah, I I just struggle to find one. Patrice Ever maybe from the start yeah. of the decade. I think I think I think I'd have to go with Azpilicueta because obviously when Andy Cole left Chelsea, 
Aspilicueta sort of uh, filled that gap for. He, he's for, missed a fix it for Chelsea for so he long. He is, and he plays all across the defensive line. And I think uh, that's the only reason I can put him as left back is because he has the versatility to play there and has played there. And then also Richard Bayless said that last week. He's played through the last ten years, left back, centre back, right back mm. in every single formation possible. So I think for me he's that shout. And then Zabaleta is right back. I think his his stats and his titles, you know, speak for themselves. Realistically, are you are you sort of? Would you want to switch? Well, I'm we trying, go? Yeah, I'll think out loud here and say I, I'm actually willing to go with the fullback mm-hmm. and, and pretty much go with your back four. I'm I'm actually willing to compromise, go three at the back, and put Equator over Van Dyke. Ooh. That's, it's an interesting prospect. Okay, I, I, you know, I'm actually willing to do that. Yeah? I think, I think, yeah, okay, so our back three, we'll go to the back three, Terry, Company, and Asbel Equator. Easy. Done. Yep. Alright, now moving into midfield, uh, I will say that it's a 3-5-2, so the left and right mids, are we saying they're attacking players? I think, well that's just the way I want to look at it, but maybe you'll have a different I'd opinion. say borderline we have to go for a 3-4-3. Three, three. But, We'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll fix the debate when we go through the midfield players. Okay. Who, do you, how many how many central midfielder players do you have? Well, I have two. Okay, and I'll go. I'll, I'll list them off. I'll, the first one's Kante. I think the role he played in Leicester in 2015-16 says enough for itself. Then to come to Chelsea and, and do the then, same thing and do the exact same thing, he's probably in the the best world eleven at the moment. Yeah, and, I, and he's been performing for twenty since twenty fifteen. Yeah, it's impossible to leave him out. Yeah, I've got him as well. And then the other centimeter, I've had to, I've had to spurn a lot of players for this one, mm-hmm. and it, it's really aided me. I, 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 I sat there for a long time thinking, who the hell is going to partner with Kante? Now, and I've looked at someone who can not only play attacking midfield but defensive midfield, central midfield, box to box, deep lying, um, behind the striker, the versatility, and that's the great man Yaya Toure. And I, I think he's probably. I'd say maybe the best African, um, the African midfielder of all time. Okay. I think that's Oof. probably a fair shout. Um, and I think a lot of people would probably agree with me. Um, and the reason why I've gone with Yaya Toure is because his impressive season, most impressive season undoubtedly came in 2013-14 when he scored 20 goals from midfield and added nine assists single-handedly probably dragged City to, to another league title. But then of course, one season doesn't make a player. Over the course of his City career, he scored 79 goals and grabbed 50 assists over 316 games. And he completely changed the way he played from when the holding role he had occupied at Barca. And he came in, played everywhere for City. Played attacking midfield when needed, played central midfield when needed, and even played in the deep lying similar to his role at Barca. For me, I think he's one of the best midfielders since the 2000s in the midfield, in the EPL, and definitely, for me, probably a mainstay in Team of the Decade. I don't know if you agree with me. Oh, see, I have, I've gone with Steven Gerrard. Fair shout, ne- Next to Kante. Slippy G. Look, the, the lack of a league title actually hurts him. Just based on the reasoning for a lot of the other players we've picked in this team, I think the league titles has to be taken into consideration. It would be ignorant for us not to. And, look, you, you talk about the season that Toure had, especially in 13-14. You know, Steven Gerrard, 
probably once 2015 hit, fell off a cliff a little bit. He never really got over, got into that double figures in terms of goals. Obviously finished up at the end of the 15-16 season. I, I'm i actually willing to give Yaya Toure here. Yeah? Yeah, I, really? I, I'm not going to put up too much of a fight. I think both of them pretty much peaked. Uh, not, not so much peaked, sorry, but from 2010 to 2015 was their time. Mm-hmm. Both pretty much stopped at the same time. And Gerard's probably a more better player overall in his career, but I just think in this decade, Toure offers more to the team than Gerard does. And I think it's an interesting conversation to have, I guess, in the context of the greatest of player, and of course, a conversation for another time because it's a lengthy debate. How can you consider a player to be one of the best ever in an EPL EPL decade if they haven't won a title? Yeah, it's it's that's always going to be the it debate is, with Steven Gerrard, isn't it? It's rough to say, but like no one's knocking Gerrard's credentials. But then if you look at the players of similar ilk in the decade, they have two or three titles to their name. Mm. And at what point do you say that takes them above someone? I don't know. And that's, it, it's it is, a tough call. It, it is maybe something that we have to weigh in and debates, and maybe if we get guests in, we have to ask them as well. Yeah. But moving on, I think this is where the, this is where we hit the point where we have to decide whether this is a three-five-two or a three-four-three. All right. Well, I've got. Have you got David Silver in your team? I do. Where? Right mid in a four-four-two. Okay. See, so <laughs> I have him as an attacking midfielder in a three-five-two behind my two strikers. Okay. On my in right midfield, I have Raheem Sterling. Now, Raheem Sterling's really interesting. Okay. You look at Sterling and think, oh, he really kicked on maybe two, three years ago and has made a big role in City's title-winning seasons. But people sometimes forget he was a big player in 2013-14 for Liverpool when they almost won the league with, let's be honest, a pretty average team. Brendan Rodgers got that team firing, and Sterling was a big part of that. So was, I think correct me if I'm wrong. Was a Suarez, Sturridge, Sterling front three? Yep, that was that was what got the job done a lot of the time for Liverpool in that year. And I think at Sterling's age at the time, I believe he was about 17, 18. Now, obviously, seven years on, he's won two league titles, or Player of the Year, I believe, or uh, just behind Van Dijk last season. I think it's impossible to leave him out. So that's why he's in my right midfield. Who have you got on your left? What you, before well, we I've gone that? Eden Hazard, and I can't see how anyone could pick him. I've up. got him as well. So do we want to lock him in on the left? Uh, no matter what formation yeah, we for play? Yeah, for sure. We have to, yeah. We'll yep. lock him in. Okay. How many strikers do you have? I have two. I have so two it's a 4-4-2. Four, well. four, Who are your strikers? So I've gone for Harry Kane and Sergio Aguero. I've gone for them as well. So we can lock those in. I mean, Harry Kane's been absolutely phenomenal. 134 goals in 192 appearances. Aguero, obviously, four-leg titles. That famous goal against QPR. He's in our intro, so we pretty much have to have him in this team. So now here comes the bit of the issue. It's a case of we've got our two holding midfielders, mm-hmm. Kante and Toure. We've got our left-sided player, Hazard. We've got two strikers. Now we've got one position to fill. Do we go for the winger or the extra midfielder? That's all we're going to choose. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, I think that we could borderline... Poor. I reckon we should go for the extra attacker. Actually, no. I'll go midfielder because if we put Silva and, and Hazard in the midfield, we're essentially adding two more attacking-minded midfielders. Okay, so... Yeah, so that... I'd actually give you a shout and say that Gerard should be in that midfield three. Oh, we're going back to Gerard, are we? 
Well, the thing is, uh, if, if we're looking at as a, as a midfield five, we've got Hazard on the left, Yaya Toure, Kante, mm-hmm. Silva on the right mid, mm-hmm. and then we have one more midfield spot with Kane and Aguero sitting up front. See, I would move Silva into attacking midfield and Chuck Sterling on the right. Because I feel Kante and Toure offer you enough defensively. I feel as if, if I had known we'd gone for a 3-5-2, then I would have completely, I probably would have changed my XI. <laughs> I probably would have, I probably would have honestly, would have chucked Suarez in there for a debate as well. Suarez and then also Gareth Bale. I think because Gareth Bale left in 2013, 14? Yeah. I just think he hasn't played long enough and you can't keep stealing and Hazard out. If we're, if we're putting in wingers. In those two years, he won PFA Player of the Year and also Young Player of the Year. No, nah, I, I just refuse to give it to you, Woody. Okay. So I refuse to give it to you. All right, fair enough. I have to have Sterling and Hazard in there. I think they're both... Okay, so lock it in for 3-5-2? That's just my... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to bully you here and say yes. All right, fine. We'll go for the 3-5-2. Quick recap. David De Gea in goals. Company, John Terry, Azpilicueta, the three centre-backs. Yep. Starting from left mid, we've got Hazard coming into Yaya Toure. Coming to Kante, coming into and on the right, Sterling. Sterling, and then up front we got David Silver, right wing. No, no, David Silver up top. Oh, David Silver up top. Oh, sorry, Cam at the Cam. Then we've got Kane, and then we've got Aguero, Sergio Aguero. That's a pretty formidable XI. I think we're chucking this Premier League team of the decade up on our Instagram, aren't we, Woody? We have to. And where can they find that? At Premier League Nightclub on the Insta. And if you want to see it on the Twitter, which I'll be posting it as well, at PL Nightclub, go check it out. We've got some really good stuff. We've got Mitch Cleary on next week. Woody, are we happy to wrap this one up? We're going to get get that team of the decade up. People can debate it. If you really want to have some input, feel free to comment. We'll mention, uh, hopefully mention some opinions on the next episode. Woody, I'm going to say Happy New Year to you and Happy New Year to everybody listening. Hope you have a great night, a great, a safe night as well. <clears throat> and uh, make sure well, we want them to have a safe night, Woody, so that they can yeah, listen to the next episode. Oh, 100%. You can't lose our viewers for partying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the nightclub is tame, but the nightclub is filthy at the same time. Exactly. You know, leave the trash at the front door, but make sure you pick it up when you leave. <laughs> That's what you got to... Anyway, just before we jump off, yeah. jump off the airwaves, I have to say congratulations on a really successful year for the Premier League nightclub you podcast. Too, we've, we've, we've gone from zero to a lot more than we expected come the new year. Yeah, and we've ex- sure. I think we've almost exceeded our own expectations. We've got some really good feedback and what we're really looking forward is to a 2020 and hopefully the continuation of the nightclub and the rapid growth that we've continued to see. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're trying to have a laugh as much as we can. I know sometimes we it's important to discuss the serious things in football. Sometimes it's important to discuss the funny side of things in football. And we try to mix that up. Maybe in the new year, Woody will get some New Year's resolutions going for the night club, and we <laughs> might have them on for the next episode. Yeah, so for sure. If you want an idea of what's to be expected throughout next year, listen to that first episode of the new year, and you'll know exactly what's going to happen. Bang. All right, let's wrap this one up, Woody. It's been a pleasure. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Have a good night. See everybody. See you guys. Turn off your laptop. We're on staycation. I'm on TotalWine.com. They have so many rosés, chardonnays, and proseccos. It feels like a real vacation. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more.
All this week on NBC4, new products to new technology. Susan Hogan is showing you how local restaurants are changing the way we dine in and take out in this new world. Tonight at 6. A new twist on outdoor eating. A lot of it is creating flexibility. How one local restaurant is making their outdoor space mobile, giving you plenty of sunshine and social distance for a stress-free meal. It's all part of restaurant revitalization. Tonight at 6 on NBC4, working for you. Sports Social Podcast Network.